Vision has just the right mix of music, inspiration and fun to kickstart your day. Rise and shine with Fel and DJ. Weekdays at breakfast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. You might be shocked at the number of Aussies who are out of work in this economic fallout from coronavirus. One in ten workers will be unemployed by Christmas. The unemployment rate to hit 9.25%. The nation is facing an $850 billion debt that will take decades to repay. A lot of factors in play, with uncertainty not just here in Australia, but what's happening globally. Well, some Christian commentary on the issues around our economy today with Christian economist Dr. Rod St. Hill, whose background is in banking and higher education, and these days he serves as pastor at Ignite Life Church on the Gold Coast. He has a special interest in biblical economics and the implications for families and for small business as deeper times of recession are ahead. As well as leading the church, Rod leads Ignite Life Business and is a member of the Council for Business and Theology at the World Evangelical Alliance. Uh, Rod St. Hill, a special welcome back to 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's great to be with you again. Hey, Rod, this is a different sort of a recession to what we've been used to in decades gone by. And, you know, lots of us are so familiar with the impact of coronavirus. But how do you describe what's happening with recession here in Australia today? Well, Neil, we've actually had worse recessions, but we've never yet had a recession that was caused in a sense, deliberately by government, both here in Australia and elsewhere around the world. Now, that's not to say that the policies didn't need to be implemented, but it's, in a sense, a private sector recession, which has been brought upon us by the public sector. And really, you'd have to go back to a similar pandemic just after the First World War, when the so-called Spanish flu spread right around the world to find somewhat similar policies in place. But of course, we're, we've got a balance happening here, haven't we? Yeah, the recession that's caused by uh, government, uh, by the private, uh, by the uh, the public sector, uh, and you've also got the health imposition that you would have if you didn't have that's the imposed recession. So yes, there is a balance in there, but still, uh, you make a very strong point there that this is one that's caused by the government. Absolutely, uh, deliberately policy driven by governments all around the world. So there's been a massively coordinated approach to dealing with the the pandemic. And essentially what's happened is that all around the world, our social and economic freedoms have been constrained. That's what it amounts to. And as a result, economic activity has slowed down. So too is social activity. And uh, consequently, millions upon millions of people have lost their jobs. And a lot of businesses, of course, have found it almost impossible to um, to maintain even their existence, let alone a decent cash flow. So government causes a recession, and as we all might cast our memories back uh, with things that were beginning to develop at the start of coronavirus, and we heard all of those dreadful stories out of Italy and uh, then Iran, and then uh, things started to take hold in the UK and in America, and governments began to impose uh, recession because of the huge stimulus stimulus packages that needed to be offered, was Australia just doing what everybody else was doing? 
uh, to a large extent, although Australia did move earlier than most other jurisdictions uh, in terms of closing down our national borders. And uh, that was probably the most important policy response by far because up until very recently, um, I'm talking here about the Victorian crisis that we're working through right now, but up until very recently, almost two-thirds of the total cases reported in Australia were actually imported from overseas. So closing the borders early, Australia was the first country that actually declared it a pandemic. Our Prime Minister was pretty quick off on that score. He did it before the World Health Organisation did. And so I think one of the big advantages that Australia had was that we closed our national borders earlier than most other countries did. So right from the very beginning, our government closing our national borders and in doing so, knowing very deeply that that would have huge implications for especially like the tourism industry. Tourism and higher education in particular, um, but also then you've got all of the associated um, industries, particularly say restaurants and uh, retail trade. So Yes, there's no doubt that closing the borders was it was always known that it was going to impose a massive cost. See, higher education is uh, one of our top exports. It's number two or three in most recent years. So when you're basically you're closing down a significant export industry virtually overnight, it has a massive impact on the economy. Uh, now, this is part of your background in higher education. Uh, if we're talking higher education here, does the technological advancement of being able to offer online courses with Australian universities, does that in any way soften the blow of not having students come in because they're still paying for course content? Look, only, only in a minor way because the whole international education industry depends upon international students moving to Australia under student visas and studying as on-campus students. So yes, for those international students who were already here when the borders closed, the option of studying online is open to them. So virtually every university and all of the private higher education institutions who have international students here right now, they are teaching online. Let's come to the Treasurer's statement yesterday and no doubt you've looked at things carefully as to what the Treasurer announced. Do you have a general impression as to, I mean, you know, some of this was expected because there's been so much speculation about the tre- what the Treasurer might say, but uh, what are your general impressions about his statement yesterday? Well, a couple of things. Um, look, I, I really think Australians ought to be congratulating Treasury and the Department of Finance the, uh, the Treasurer, the Prime Minister and the Minister for Finance as well because they've totally refrained from turning this into a political exercise. Um, it might be a funny thing, but I was really quite impressed by the official budget website when I went on to it yesterday because it didn't have all the, all the glitter that is usually associated with a budget. There wasn't the, the sales push that is normally associated with the May budget every year. The uh, The press release was just basically black and white. There was um, one explanatory document and then a 175-page document which contained the details. But they've, they've really refrained from turning this into a political exercise. It's very matter of fact. I think because they recognise they're operating 
in an environment of incredible uncertainty. Not only don't we know what is likely to happen economically, we still are learning about this virus. And of course, it mutates. So there's a good deal of uncertainty on the medical side. There's a lot of uncertainty on the economic side. I think they are to be congratulated for the way in which they've conducted this exercise. It's good news that at this point, the direct cost to the federal government of dealing with the crisis is only $289 billion, uh, because at the beginning of the crisis, it was estimated that it would be well over $300 billion around $320 billion. And of course, in the early days, it was thought that we could lose as many as 150,000 lives. Hasn't been anything like that. Yes, some of the forecasters made mistakes early on, but I think the whole environment is one of great uncertainty. We've never been through anything like this before. Yes, there have been these virus outbreaks, but my understanding is that this particular virus is much more transmissible than, say, MERS or SARS or any of the others we've had in uh, reasonably recent times. And so when you've got a very high level of transmissibility, then that really makes it even more difficult to manage the potential outcomes. Uh, No doubt you've seen those media reports with the Treasurer using the words eye-wateringly high uh, levels of debt. Uh, and when we talk about the huge debt, and uh, you know, if you say it quickly, it rolls off the tongue, and you it think, does. "Oh, it doesn't it sound does. very serious." Yes. But if you start to apply the zeros and equate that to what that is in dollars to pay back, it is a staggering figure. Yes, it will eventually take us fairly close to a trillion dollars. Again, that trips off the tongue. Yep. But there's a lot of zeros involved in a trillion. So in the high eight hundred billion uh, mark. And again, of course, we still don't know exactly where we'll end up because the whole thing is still unfolding. Um, but, but look, Australia is in a better position than many other countries because although that's a very large debt, as a proportion of our GDP, that the total value of what we produce in Australia every year, it's around about 30%. So we came out of the Second World War with debt around 120% of GDP. So we've been in a much worse position in the past than is the case at the present time. So, you know, because Australia hasn't hasn't been running large deficits for a long period of time, uh, even during the global financial crisis, our deficits weren't particularly large. That that amount of debt, it is eye-watering in terms of the, the amount of dollars, but in terms of the relative size of that debt, it's not too bad. We've been in a far worse positions um, in, in the last hundred years or so. What goes along with eye-watering levels is the amount of time that it will take to pay back the debt uh, because there's almost this feeling that you get, depending on what commentary you're listening to, that uh, you know if uh, coronavirus is treated with a vaccine or someone comes up with a special way of being able to alleviate the uh, the, the, the symptoms and uh, and the, the outflow, that somehow or other the debt will disappear at the end of that. So we, we talk about how hard the debt is, but it'll, it'll disappear, won't it, when coronavirus is handled. But uh, from what I understand, Rod, uh, when you start to see figures like the year 2040 uh, or even the year 2060, as to how long it will take to pay down the debt that's being accumulated now. Those things cause us real concern, don't they? Yes, look, um, it's a policy issue, really, 
the, the period of time we, we take to pay it off. If we really sit back and do virtually nothing, eventually economic growth will take care of it. But that'll take probably 30 years. That, that's more than a generation. If we have a deliberate policy towards reducing the debt, and we don't, and I'm not necessarily arguing that we should, but if we have a deliberate policy, we could pay it off a lot faster. The one thing that is very certain is that we do have to pay it off. Even if we just printed money instead of borrowing, we would still pay for it, perhaps through higher rates of inflation than we otherwise would have. So we either pay for it directly by handing over more of our dollars to the government, or we pay for it indirectly because the government has to spend less, or we have to deal with higher rates of inflation than we otherwise had. And the only other option is for us to sit back effectively and do nothing and ultimately allow economic growth with no changes in tax rates or anything to, uh, to deal with the problem. That would take that problem at least you know, a generation to deal with. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Just wonderful to have you with us. Our talk back line open, 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. Our special guest this hour is Christian economist Dr. Rod St. Hill. Uh, let's take a call before we move any further forward, Rod. Let's hear from Anne in Labrador in Queensland. Yes. Hi, Anne. Welcome. Um, I think that the government will um, help us go through this, and I don't think it's... I think it. I think if the virus hadn't started and we hadn't had to shut down so that it wouldn't have spread all over Australia, then we would be okay economically. But because of the virus and because they had to shut every and the borders down and everything down to stop the transmission from person to person, and that's why now we have, and also to help those who had to be shut down um, to have financially. So I think, yes, we will get through this eventually. And good thought. Uh, your response, Rod? Look, I would agree with you. And on that, I, I think it's very hard to know from moment to moment whether the government's doing the right thing. We'll only know that with hindsight. And so far, it really looks as if Australia has done very, very well indeed. There was a really interesting chart in the, the larger document published with the Treasurer's statement yesterday that showed how various countries had restricted social and economic freedom um, and provided support and Australia has among the best performances in the whole wide world so we've done pretty well Um, as I mentioned earlier we've had worse recessions we've had 11% unemployment in the early 1990s 10% unemployment in the early 1980s and we got through that I don't see any reason why we won't get through this Uh, the other reason why I'm reasonably optimistic that we will come through this is that governments all around the world are now implementing pretty much the same policy. So what that means ultimately is that our export trade will um, will recover and will remain quite strong, and that's important for Australia's growth going ahead. So it, the fact that policies have been more or less coordinated, I don't know whether they're formally coordinated, but every government is doing something similar in terms of greatly increasing their spending, providing support for those people who are losing their job, providing support for businesses, um, and it's happening everywhere. There's a significant um, body of economic theory that would tend to suggest that when that happens, 
everybody comes out of it better than they otherwise would. And from Labrador, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You might have a question, you might have a comment. 1-800-316-316. Interestingly, though, Rod, when we talk about there have been deeper recessions before, 11% unemployment as you go back to the 1990s, 1980s. Uh, But when people say our expectation of almost 1 in 10 Uh, without a job by Christmas this year and the likelihood that that number would be much higher up to around 14 plus percent if there was no job keeper and if job seeker wasn't quite so generous. Uh, So there is a little bit of a disguise in some of those numbers. Does that make us worried? It doesn't make me worried because what what um, what it suggests to me is that the policy has worked. In other words... We've got much, much lower unemployment than we otherwise would, and we all know there's underemployment as well, and the government have been quite clear about that, that the, if you like, the true unemployment rate would be in the mid-teens, but it would likely be in the low 20s without all of these policy interventions. And I think the mechanism at work here is actually confidence. It's not so much the number of dollars that go out there into the economy, it's what that does for both business confidence and consumer confidence because our future depends upon business investment and consumer spending. And I was looking at data on consumer and business confidence only this morning and uh, there are various surveys on consumer confidence. They don't all show the same results but there is clear evidence that business confidence has improved even in the month of July. Now what's happening in Victoria will pull back the results for business and consumer confidence, but the the intention that the government has clearly stated that it will support the economy as long as is needed, that will keep confidence levels relatively high. So the key data to watch actually isn't unemployment. The key data to watch is what's happening to business confidence and consumer confidence. I wonder if there's a really powerful Christian dimension to bring into the con- uh, the conversation here because around this issue of confidence, we talk about business confidence and those sorts of uh, figures that are often released about how confident the nation is to invest, those sorts of things. I wonder, Rod, the confidence that we have as individuals, the confidence that we might have as families because a lot of people... Uh, who may be affected by recessionary figures right now, can go underground, uh, pull in the covers, uh, batten down the hatches. And I wonder whether there is a Christian spirituality that says uh, we're not going to be as fearful of these times because our trust is in God. What are your thoughts for for this confidence? I absolutely agree with that. I agree with that absolutely. And and look, as a pastor, when this first broke and and I realised that we were going to have to close church and just go online so we wouldn't be able to meet together physically for perhaps many months, I made up my mind that one, I was going to believe that our numbers would grow and two, that our finances would improve. And I thought there is no place for fear. I truly believe that God's message to the church during the whole of this pandemic is who do you trust? He's asking us, who do you trust? I made up my mind to trust in him, and I prayed along those lines, not just for my own church, but for the whole of the body of Christ. And I've been amazed and encouraged at the number of reports I've had of individual churches that have actually grown as they've moved online. 
and whose finances have actually improved. I've, I've had pastors tell me their tithes and offerings have actually increased during the pandemic. In terms of business, uh, my view is that even if all of the data are showing that Australia is falling into a recession, my business doesn't have to participate in that. And uh, my, my strong, strong encouragement to people who are running businesses is seek the Lord for what the old uh, King James version of the Bible says in uh, Proverbs 12, 8, I think it is, witty inventions. Ask God to show you what you can do during this period of national crisis to make sure your business remains healthy. And and, and I've, I've heard some of the most marvelous testimonies. Now, what I would say is none of these testimonies involve people sitting back and letting anything wash over them. They all involve people who actively rolled up their sleeves and they worked on their business to drive success. So I think, you know, there's a whole theology around, uh, if not a theology, at least a doctrine around the whole fear thing and and who do you trust. So I really do believe that God is calling us to trust him. And and the question he's asking the world, I think, is why have you turned your back on me? Mm. And I'm sincere in that. I've I've believed that for many months now and shared that on just about every opportunity that I've had. So simple but profound, a little time in the prayer closet. Uh, So far as personal finance and career, family, circumstances that are going around our our children who might be entering into the workforce, uh, those sorts of things, time before God, the expectation that he is able to intervene into the circumstances and that we ought to expect that his blessing is going to be upon us. I mean, this is one of those keys, isn't it, from the scriptures? Obedience to God That's right. does bring That's his right. blessing on our lives. And while you were sharing that, I was reflective of what often is a biblical saying that you'll often hear at a funeral. Uh, when people are suffering grief and loss around these sorts of issues. And uh, this idea that as Christian believers, we don't grieve in the way that those grieve who have no hope. So even though we might be hurting in some circumstances, we need to draw on those wells of hope uh, and expectation that God is able to intervene in our circumstances. And I, I think we have to develop a consciousness that God is our provider and protector. Let's take another call. Frank is in Albany Creek in Queensland. Hi, Frank. Welcome along. How are you? Very well, Frank. Mate, what are your um, thoughts? I thought, mate, um, our Prime Minister needs you know, to be um, really blessed what he's done. Like, he went through the fires, the flood, and now this. And um, he's holding them together and... Um, I reckon God's got plans to do it, and hopefully that God will talk in his sleep. Uh, I think we might have lost you, Frank, but uh, enough there to work with. Uh, your thoughts for Frank, Rod? Well, I do think it's a great blessing to Australia that we have a Prime Minister who is a Christian. And um, I've had the privilege of hearing some inside stories, which obviously I wouldn't um, repeat publicly, but it gives me great confidence that he is a man who seeks the wisdom of the Lord. I think he's often shown great courage and he's also displayed enormous stamina and I I would suspect that there's a little bit of supernatural help in there. So I I feel that we're blessed as a nation that we have a Christian Prime Minister 
And I do think that we, we need to be obedient to the Word of God and to pray for Him and, in fact, for all who are in authority over us, the state premiers. The, don't worry whether they're Christians or not. Pray that God would guide them, that God would guide their decision-making, that God would bring people into their orbit who are wise people, perhaps people who are Christians who will uphold them in prayer and who will bring wise counsel to them. Rod, let me ask you your response to our Facebook poll question today. Are you confident in the government's ability to steer Australia through the current economic crisis? I can hear you saying good things about the Prime Minister. The poll as it stands at the moment, uh, the response so far from listeners who are responding, 81% are saying yes, the government's ability to steer Australia through the current economic crisis. 19% have doubts. Uh, what are your thoughts here? Well, I don't, I don't trust in men, period, <laughs> for solutions. And I, I think ultimately we can't look to government for solutions. We have to look to our relationship with the Lord. We have a personal responsibility, I believe that's biblical, to manage our own affairs, and we need to do that, as it were, in partnership with God. That was the whole point of the Garden of Eden. So I, I do have, obviously have a level of confidence in the government. I have a level of confidence in what we've learnt, for example, in terms of economic policy, particularly since about the early 20th century. Um, many people may not be aware of this, but in 1987 there was a stock market crash. The fall in stock prices was almost identical, the fall and the pattern, almost identical to what it was in um, uh, 1929, which precipitated the Great Depression. We didn't have a big worldwide depression then. We didn't have a worldwide depression during the global financial crisis because we've actually learned. I actually think this is part of the common grace of God. He's made us to be creative and to be um, curious beings and we learn and we grow in wisdom as history marches by. Uh, Rod, before we move on, why don't we come back to this poll that we're asking listeners to respond to today. The poll question is, are you confident in the government's ability to steer Australia through the current economic crisis? Uh, well, there's a number of comments that are coming through. We might uh, pick up on one or two of those. Ian says, good to see a positive support for the current government. With the lefties bagging the government constantly, they just show that they are not at all relevant. Uh, what are your thoughts for Ian? Well, I would have to say that they are relevant because politicians listen to them and they do actually become aligned with some political parties and some of them actually get elected to parliaments, both at state and federal levels, both in Australia and in many other countries. So I don't think we should ignore them. However... Most of us who perhaps are listening to this program now, we believe in the truth of God's word, we would by definition be, be conservative. So we wouldn't have the same systems of beliefs and hold the same attitudes and values of the people we might think of as being, being on the left. I think what's happened um, over the years, and this does have a lot of relevance to the way in which government implements policy from this time forward, over the years, since particularly since about the middle of the 1960s, secular humanism has really become the dominant worldview. And uh, I think that has aligned, become aligned in the thinking of a lot of people with classical Marxism. Marxism. So 
if you look at a lot of the activities and the writing in particular of people on the left and uh, organisations on the left, they're very reflective and reminiscent of Marxist writing and Marxist teaching. I think on the whole, Marx might have got the diagnosis fairly accurate, but he certainly didn't get the uh, solution to that diagnosis correct. I think the Bible makes it very clear that God's vision is that we would have individual freedom to flourish. And I think that what what's happening as um, institutions, as politics tends to lean a little bit towards the left, is that the freedom to flourish is gradually taken away from people. And it surprises me a little that Christians haven't been more forthcoming in a debate during our response to the coronavirus over the restrictions to social and economic freedoms. I I think there's a huge price that we've paid, which is not a dollar price at all. It's a price that we've paid because our, our own freedom to flourish socially and economically has been restricted. Now, I'm not saying that that should not have happened. I think it was inevitable, particularly in the early phases. But I also think there is a predilection on the part of the left to withdraw from us that what we call a positive freedom, the freedom to to flourish. And uh, I think that's significant, and it's something we need to address as Christians. Powerful thoughts. This idea that we've surrendered some of those freedoms uh, in the name of the health crisis, and they do continue to deepen. And uh, there's even an issue that I was talking about just before uh, you came to the studio, Rod, uh, with Bill Muhlenberg, and around the idea that in Victoria right now there's an imposition of a $200 fine uh, if you're not wearing a face mask on the street. And so uh, the conversation around a Christian response to that, well, we would have preferred a voluntary wearing of face masks uh, because the imposition of a $200 fine, and who knows, that might be just the starting point of what might happen because of uh, this imposition in the name of a health crisis. Hey, let's take this just a little deeper here for a moment. And while Ian on our Facebook post made a comment uh, mentioning uh, lefties, and then you've been talking cultural Marxism and emerging from the challenges that we are facing beyond coronavirus, getting the economy back, there'll be different forces in tension. One of those will be the cultural Marxist force that will be lobbying government to move their direction. Another direction might be that there are those who are so money-driven Uh, by their own uh, capitalist ideas. And I often, as I said to you a little while back, I often like to talk about capitalism by way of mentioning the idea of ethical capitalism because that way we can bring a Christian perspective in there. But there are those who will want to take the recovery into a direction that is only money-oriented and may well actually lead into some levels of exploitation. So let's take some Christian ground in all of this, Rod. What are your thoughts for when coronavirus is under control and we're trying to get the economy back on track, there's going to be some tensions at work and how we might think about that as Christians? Well, certainly are. And of course, in an environment where there's a lot of fear, you tend to get these political, um, political shifts. And uh, I suppose you know it would probably take us a week to get through a whole a whole perspective about what the Bible has to say about economic systems and business and so on. But 
my my understanding of the Bible is that there are some principles that are very very clear, and we ought as Christians to be judging government policies on the basis of those principles. So, uh, in terms of trying to arrive at what you what you might call a biblical approach to economics and and to business, I think we need to understand this: the the Bible supports the concept of private property. That's pretty clear when you read the Ten Commandments. Second, it supports the idea that we should be able to undertake free exchange. In other words, you and I should have economic freedom to buy and sell. And uh, I can show you evidence from, say, the book of Proverbs uh, that, that supports that idea. A commitment to hard work, that's biblical. A a development orientation. God put humanity in the Garden of Eden not just to sit there, but to actually develop it. So there needs to be an orientation towards economic growth and development, lifting the standards of people all over the world. There's a focus on individual responsibility. Each one of us is responsible for our salvation and the outworking of that salvation. And finally, and I think this is often missed, by many in business today, God cares about the poor. Yes, these are really important, and uh, we might take an hour on each of those points, but uh, when you say there's biblical support for the idea of private property, so just be cautious when someone is taking away your right to have that private property. That's correct. And, uh, and by, even by way of uh, even our ta- taxation systems yes, can, can rob that's us correct. of our private property if it's unfair taxation. Uh, freedom to buy and sell, commitment to hard work, uh, development orientation, and individual responsibility before God. Now, let me just take you back. In Just before the news, we were talking about these sorts of issues by way of saying that, you know, my faith is in God, not in the government. But we recognize the government has a role to play there. So how do we make that practical, Rod, by saying, I'm going to take this personal responsibility. I understand that there are some biblical understandings of economics and I might filter what's going on through my biblical understanding. So in a practical sense, how do we implement some of those sorts of things? Well, in terms of our relationship with government, I think one of the things we should do is to hold them accountable for their size because that's something which is relatively easy easy to measure. And uh, there's a correlation between the size of government and the degree to which they actually control what we do on a day-to-day basis, perhaps as someone running a business or someone working in a business. And uh, one of the things that I'm, I was fairly pleased to see, actually, in the Treasurer's statement is that in terms of um, revenue, the government does not intend to soak up more than about a quarter of all of the incomes that are produced. Now, there is pressure. We talked a little bit about lefties before. They would want to see a lot more payments go out, say, as social social welfare payments, for example, and that would increase the need for the government to, to tax. So we have to be very, very careful, I think, that we don't breach that 25% mark. Indeed, I would prefer it to go back towards 20% or even a little bit uh, less than that, because I think governments do a lot of things that really, biblically speaking, they ought not to be doing, and it actually weakens the position of the church and Christians in in uh, in general. The other thing is that in terms of government expenditures, well, they're going to go to about a third of GDP, 
that's explained then, of course, by by the deficit. And um, I, I think the way out has to be through private sector investment. So one of the things we can do as Christians in business is to to build our faith and confidence in God to the point where we we can believe that He will show us where and how to invest. And uh, seriously, the only way out of any recession, regardless of how it is caused, is an increase in business, that is private sector investment, and that then flows through to improvements in confidence, and it's people just like us who go out and buy goods and services that can contribute to the flourishing in our own lives. Well, what a wonderful encouragement that is for people who are in business, Christian business owners listening to our conversation today, where you say, if you're taking a biblical approach here, go out and flourish in business. Because a lot of those issues that you raise there as those foundations of what we might think of as uh, biblical economics, uh, they are met through the way that you conduct your own business dealings and uh, the idea of flourishing uh, sometimes we get a bit worried about that idea of you know what if I flourish people will think I'm less spiritual (laughs) no there's a real spirituality in the flourishing because there's a tremendous testimony that comes and not only that of course but uh, the way that you treat your own staff and you treat your customers this is a powerful way for Christian business to move forward definitely and it, it also then of course involves business in the Great Commission because as as you contribute to the flourishing of others, you get opportunities to build relationships and ultimately you get permission to speak into other people's lives. Okay, let me just reflect on a, uh, a comment or two that's come through our Facebook post. You'll know that our Facebook question today is, are you confident in the government's ability to steer Australia through the current economic crisis? Marianne says, yes, providing the current government is re-elected at the next election, we need to keep praying for Scott Morrison. Thank you very much for that comment, Marianne. Graham says, if Australia will be in debt, who will we be in debt to? And as a small businessman, if there are so many people unemployed, why can't employers find them? I know other electrical businesses can't find tradesmen to meet the current demand post-COVID restrictions. Now, there's an interesting one. Uh, I wonder if we might uh, focus on what Graham is saying there for a few moments. There's two parts to that. Um, if we're going to be in debt, who are we in debt to? And what he's saying is, well, I'm an, electri- uh, an electrical business and if there's so many people unemployed right now, how come I can't find anybody? Mm. Look, largely we're in debt to ourselves. I know that seems a little bit hard to understand, but it's because of lots and lots of little tricks with accounting and so on and so forth. Where actually, What's actually happening is that this $880 billion in debt, most of that is government borrowing from us, believe it or not. Bonds. So most of it is it's, it's, it's bonds and other uh, treasuries, um, paper and so on. Um, so... In, in that sense, it's not a big issue because we owe it to ourselves, so to speak. It's, it's held within our national national boundaries. Um, so it's not as if we're going to China and borrowing from China. Most of that kind of borrowing is actually by private sector businesses, not by government. And a lot of it, in fact, is by banks who then lend it to us to go and buy our houses or to build up our businesses. 
And, of course, Graham says uh, he's running an electrical business and he's wondering where all the electricians are because it yeah. sounds like he'd like to put someone on. So um, That's I mean, a great comment. And, and it's look, a comment. That's yes, right. no, no. We, uh, and we're hearing, we're hearing from time to time about employers who can't get people to come and work for them. Um, I've been astounded, actually, at the number of small business owners, particularly people in the hospitality industry, who say that people who were on their casual work roster prior to the shutdown are saying, I'm not coming to work for you because I'm getting too much on JobSeeker. As you know, the government relaxed all of the conditions surrounding JobSeeker. They effectively doubled the payment temporarily. And, uh, see, this is the problem uh, that... The focus of the government was to get money into the economy quickly, so I have no problem with the fact that they introduced JobKeeper and they made those big changes to to JobSeeker. I also applaud the government for tightening the conditions for both JobKeeper and for for JobSeeker. But one of the what, what what can happen if people don't have an appropriate biblical understanding of God's expectations of them as regards economic activity, they could easily fall into that trap of saying, "Well, I get more money from the government than I can get in employment, therefore I shouldn't work." Now, one thing I can guarantee is you will never flourish as a human being if you have that attitude, because whether you believe in God or not, and whether you accept his word or not, he has actually created us as creative beings, and one of the ways in which we outwork that is through formal paid employment. And I think one of the worst things that can happen to Australia is that we would build a long-term system of social welfare that encourages people not to work, especially when it runs down through the generations. And there's an interesting dimension here that perhaps Christian business employers might need to take note of, the idea of making sure that your use of the system actually is an issue of the heart, because as you say, it's not wrong uh, to be able to support employees, uh, but there's probably a fine line there as you might cross over there and uh, you could be accused somewhere down the track potentially of rotting the system. Uh, When these sorts of things come into play uh, post-recession or post-disaster, sometimes uh, there's this accusation that comes. And so as a Christian employer, I guess you've got to be making sure that you've got your ethics right too as the way you're using it all. Look, be scrupulously honest and seek advice and help from professionals like your accountant, like your lawyer, your financial advisor. Make sure you get good advice and be scrupulously honest. That would be my advice always. But also, you know, a few have come to me and said, well, should I accept JobKeeper or should I accept, you know, apply for JobSeeker? Absolutely. If the government has made it available, I see no biblical reason why you couldn't use it as a temporary measure to help you get over uh, some of the issues that have been created by, by the pandemic. But that's, that's a very different thing to saying, well, actually, I don't have to work. I don't have to try in my business because I can get a government subsidy. That's an unbiblical attitude because it's saying, I'm not responsible for my own economic outcomes. Let me take us another step deeper in all of this when it comes to the idea of recovery, and I'm talking nationally here, because while we might understand the way that we might uh, be expected to behave ethically as an opportunity to behave ethically and expect the blessing of God on our business, I imagine that emerging from a crisis like this and then therefore taking the money 
from all sorts of places around the world to increase the Australian economy. And I'm just thinking China in here for a few moments because we'd understand that there are nations that have human rights violations that are being called out and sometimes ignored. Or where there's the idea of the Belt and Road Initiative and things like that that are going on in in places like the state of Victoria right now, uh, where there's this, what some are perceiving to be a level of compromise in taking money from places that might be a controlling influence on us as a nation. Is there a Christian dimension in all of that we can explore, Rod? Yes, yes, we can. And um, I think, again, it really gets back to, to the individual. And, and so I, I, I very, very carefully read labelling on all the products I buy. And I've made up my mind that I would do as little as possible to support any regime which is not run along lines that are at least consistent with the Word of God. And uh, so I deliberately avoid buying products from certain countries because I believe their political regimes or or even their their worldview is inconsistent with the Word of God. Now, would I then go and, um, I guess, uh, try to convince a government that they should do that? Look, the truth of the matter, I do belong to a political party. It is a conservative political party. Um, and, I, and I do believe that there are things we need to do, even at a public policy level. I do applaud the government for being forthright in terms of its relationship with China at the moment. Um, I personally disagree with what the Victorian Premier did in terms of signing. It's an agreement which I understand has got no constitutional standing anyway because under our constitution, the federal government is the only level of government that has the right to sign these kinds of um, agreements with international governments. But there's nothing to stop a state premier from doing it, but it's really got no no standing. Um, I, I, I think the big issue is with a country like China, which is becoming more and more economically powerful by the day and, and is seeking to uh, peddle uh, political influence around the world, the real issue is how aligned is the regime with the Word of God? Well, the answer is it's not because it because communism, by definition, is atheistic. That That's part of the whole plan, if you like. It's part of the package. And that's one reason, of course, why there's so much persecution of the Uyghurs who hold a, a Muslim faith. There's a lot of persecution and has been for a long time of Christians why? It's because they actually believe in an authority which is a higher authority than that of the party. Now, I do what I can in my own life to avoid supporting the party by not buying products from from that country. Now, do I ever buy products from that country? Yes, I do, because sometimes there are no alternatives. Uh, the other thing that's happening, of course, on a national level is that for the best part of 20 years now, Australia has well, actually more, more like 30 years, Australia has benefited enormously from exporting iron ore and coal in particular to China. And China has become quite dependent on our iron ore and coal exports. And that's one of the things which has helped us avoid recession for the last 29 years. 
And I might add, uh, without the figures in front of me, as I understand it, there's record exports happening right now. So iron ore in particular. As a boost to our economy, that is happening. Hey, we have run out of time, and I want to thank you so much, uh, Rodson Hill, for taking some time to share these thoughts with us. Uh, I know that you're pastoring a church these days and you still do consulting uh, for higher education and you've had a background in banking. Uh, I imagine that there's uh, some who might like to make contact with you given they're hearing the thoughts that are coming from uh, not just your mind, but they can hear those things coming from your heart today. What's the best way for listeners to be in touch with you if they'd like to consult or hire you? You know, you're a gun for hire. Uh, So quick free plug here. What are you... How do people contact uh, Probably you? the best way is to email me, and my email is doctor, that is dr.rod56 at gmail.com. That's drrod56 at gmail.com. So everybody now knows how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> how long have you had that email address? <laughs> <laughs> okay, drrod56 at gmail.com. And uh, Rod, the church that you're leading, Ignite Life Church. There's a website, ignitelifechurch.com. Gold Coast listeners, uh, if you're at a loose end, not part of a local church, you might like to visit and be in touch with Dr. Rod St. Hill, ignitelifechurch.com. Rod, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and heart with us today on 2020. You're very welcome, Neil, and it's been a great pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.